Good evening, and welcome to Let's Just Talk with Hamid. Today, we have the pleasure of bringing our cameras to the space of the Unitarian Universalist Church. Reverend James has gracefully welcomed us into his space and is sponsoring this episode tonight. Without further ado, today we'll be bringing you and asking the grand existential questions that has eluded humans for centuries. The question for today is, where does the universe and humanity come from? To help us answer this question, we are joined by esteemed physicist and astronomer, Dr. Eileen O'Donohue from St. Lawrence University and the Reverend James Galasinski for the age-old debate between science and religion. As always, each guest will have five to seven minutes to offer their perspective on the issue. We are going to start with the Reverend James, since we are in his space today. Then we're going to move on to Dr. Irene O'Donohue. Reverend James, you have the floor. Well, I thought I would just start out with a, a more personal story that actually is still kind of raw with me. A, a friend of mine, a colleague, uh, and uh, monk and Catholic priest in Albuquerque, New Mexico, was recently killed in a car accident. Um, he was 35 years old. I was very close friends with him and his parents. And in many ways, I'm still grieving that loss. Uh, he, he was struck by a car that was drag racing. And uh, he, he was leaving the abbey that where he lived at after spending a day of visiting the sick and, and poor, and he was just going to get a bite to eat late at night and tragically got hit and killed. And um, it, it threw me into a kind of existential kind of rage and uh, why does bad things happen to good people and uh, many other big questions came up. And what has given me comfort in this may not give many other people comfort, but it has given me comfort. And that is Father Graham. And all of us came from nothing, and it's to nothing that we return. Now, to me, the nothing is a peaceful place. The nothing is also a creative space. It's a creative a space of potentiality. And some people may call that God, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But I think that's where we all came from and we, where we are all going to, nothing. I consider myself a religious naturalist. Um, I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister. My orientation is a, is a religious naturalist. I find wonder, awe, reverence, and all the wonderful things of religiousness in the natural processes of life. Not just walking in nature, although that's true, but just in everyday encounters. I don't need a supernatural being or a supernatural entity or a supernatural world to give me a sense of spirituality. I consider myself a religious naturalist. First, I'm sorry for your loss. And second, thank you for thank you for sharing your story with us. We are going to go to Dr. O'Donohue so we can hear what you have to say about where we come from and where the universe comes from. 
Um, <clears throat> well, humans, we, first and foremost, are, are of the earth. That earth um, formed you know, 4.5 billion years ago and life appeared very early on, is very simple life, and it took it four billion years or so to figure out evolution. And then in a flash in terms of the time scale of the Earth, uh, 600 million years, we went from pond scum to people. And so we, we emerged from this long path of evolution and we are, I don't know when we became more um, conscious of our existence, of our place, and asked these existential questions. I'm not sure the squirrels do. Maybe the whales do. I don't know what they're singing down there. But, but this is part of our emergence, and I don't know if we're emerging towards something or not. My spiritual tradition is Christianity, Catholicism, and so I do see there being in the universe a, a just a, an energy of love. And I refer to that as God, but it is inclusive and it's loving and it is a part of the fabric of the universe, but it's not a fabric that really gives us data. Where did the universe, so Earth, we emerged from Earth, where did Earth came, come from? Earth came from the stars. And it formed from the material that emerged from the Big Bang, which was primarily hydrogen and helium, and then, the hydrogen and helium formed stars. The stars then themselves created all the other elements we're made of. We all are made of a lot of hydrogen. There's two hydrogens in every water molecule in our bodies. But all the rest of the stuff, the carbon in our skin, the calcium in our teeth, the iron uh, in our bloodstream carrying oxygen to our brains, the oxygen that we're breathing, all of this is from the stars. We are truly, the cosmos is flowing into us, flowing through us, flowing out of us, and we're part of this great, great, expansive, amazing thing called the universe. And where did it come from? Well, when we look out at the other galaxies, what we, what we discover is that they're all moving away from us, and the more distant ones are moving away faster. It's like, they're running away. Do you think? I had a shower after my gym. And it's like, no, actually, if they're all just running away, they, they wouldn't necessarily be running away with the more distant ones running away faster. The way to explain that is that the universe itself is expanding. Well, if it's bigger now than it was when I started speaking, that means it had to be smaller. And we can measure the expansion rate so we can, you know, math is amazing. You just put a minus sign in it. It goes back together. And when was it all together? Oh, about 13.8 billion years ago. What happened 13.8 billion years ago? Oh, we don't know. 
Okay. Try and figure it out. But there are lots of ideas, and, and, and as James was referring to nothing, well, in physics, there is no nothing. In physics, the quantum vacuum, which one of the ideas for where the universe came from is that there was nothing. There was a physics nothing. There was a, a physical nothing, which is a quantum vacuum. And in a quantum vacuum, particles come in and out of existence all the time. And one of those particles that came out into existence just blossomed into the entire universe. And here we are. And was, was, was God there? Was that loving, creative energy? Is that why the universe emerges? We don't know. We can measure the galaxies. We can measure all kinds of things in the history of the universe. And we're working on figuring out where it came from. But the very fact that here we are, creatures of the mud, crawling out of the mud on this planet that is a dust ball on the Orion spur of the Pisces Perse of the Perseus arm of the Milky Way galaxy, which is an obscure galaxy in the outer hinterlands of our supercluster Laniakea, we emerge from the mud here, and yet we've mapped the galaxies. And we have minds that look up at the stars and they write poetry and symphonies and differential equations. To me, there's some energy, some entity, some love, some creativity in the universe that is bigger than us. And that's what I call God. Right. But God doesn't produce any data, so we can't study it besides. Gotcha. That, that was fascinating and beautiful to listen to. And so I wanted to give a little bit of an Islamic perspective to the conversation and then to go back to the idea of the, universe, the Unitarian Universalist of we come from nothing so that you can explain what nothing means to you. Um, and so in Islam, like we describe God as this infinite being who has inexhaustible power, who possesses intentionality and will, and he has no human or animal attributes or forms or nature or appetite. And the religion teaches us that God is genderless, does not have, you know, does not experience human experiences and tiredness. And so God is the ultimate, the most, you know, powerful being that wills the world, uh, the world if he wishes it, wills things into existence, right? And so, for example, you speak of the Big Bang earlier. Um, one thing I wanted I want us to talk about is is there any correlations between what we call science and what we call religion? Because in this uh, short text of the Quran, there is a lot of prophecies that were written, you know, thousands of years before that were predictions that are happening now. Like the Big Bang was predicted before we knew what the Big Bang was, um, and so you can find that in chapter twenty one thirty of the Quran. And so going back to you. Uh, what do you mean by nothing? And you can then explain, you know, what what was there before the Big Bang? By nothing, I guess it's, I'm speaking more metaphorically mm -hmm. um, and that to, to try and differentiate from uh, a creation or something that we were created. Right. Um, 
So, so I actually, you, you said the word a bunch of times, I really love it, emergence. To me that we, we've emerged. And out of this process of evolution, um, we emerged. And I, yeah, I don't know if we're going forward or backwards or sideways. I don't know which. So I, I, I agree with you. And that over time, yeah, we developed a self-awareness. We had developed meaning. We it de- de- developed emotions. We developed this ability to love children. <laughs> you know, like all these wonderful things um, that go along with being human. Now, I feel like... so. So by, by nothing, I, 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 just, I just mean to differentiate from like a traditional view of God. Right. Yeah. And then Dr. O'Donnell, uh, what was there before the Big Bang? Oh, we you don't mentioned know. it. We don't know. We don't know. And okay. one of the things about the physics theories is that um, space and time are constructs of this universe. Of our mind. No, they're constructs of this universe. Okay. We can measure them. Okay. So they're, they, they exist in the universe, not just our heads, because there is an arrow of time. Right. And so, no, they are things we can measure, and so in science, that's real. Right. And uh, the flow of time is in our minds, but time, you know, we have atomic clocks that they right. don't have any emotions. They're, time always moves at the same rate. Right. And so since space and time are constructs of this universe... Back when it was t equals zero, right. before time began, there was no time. Right. So you can't talk about before the Big Bang. Okay. And Carl Sagan, or no, not Carl Sagan, uh, uh, Stephen Hawking, mm-hmm. uh, what he said was that to ask what was before the Big Bang is a poorly phrased question. It's like asking, what's north of the North Pole? Right. We don't know. It's the thing of like the Schrodinger's cat, of like, if you put a cat in a box, is it alive or dead? We don't know because we have to open the box to observe it. Right. So unless we observe it, how do we know? Okay. And so do you want to take a minute to respond to this question? Uh, no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a great answer as well. Um, so you, talk, you both talked about emergence, that word itself. So the word emerge assumes that something comes out of either somewhere or nowhere. And so the question for me then becomes, can something come from nothing? You know. Well, I definitely think life can come from not life. Um, <laughs> and that, 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 to me, that's a really deep question. That's, right. that's it a is. Really, it is profound. That, that's, and, yeah. and it has to... Def- to start with defining nothing. Yeah, what is nothing? What We're talking is, about absolute you, nothing? Is it a philosopher's nothing? Is it a physicist's nothing? A physicist's nothing is a seething mm-hmm. particle energy See, It's busy. There's all kinds of stuff in nothing. There is no nothing. Does everything have, does everything have to have an origin? Or a creator, in a sense? I would, because the, the, what we're trying to define here in this topic is where do we come from? And there's many philosophies and schools of thought out there that try to tell us right. what and, that answer and is. And the, you know, what, what I was taught as a little child in, right. in, in Sunday school was that, you know, 
uh, here was the mud of the earth and God made right. a little clay human and, and, and it came, came to life. And it's like, and kind of plunked us down artificially. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I think that, that that view has misserved us. Right. In that it has made us something artificial on mm-hmm. earth. When no, the mud was already alive and we just kind of emerged from it through pond scum and then, you know, amphib- fish and amphibians and, you know, all those things. And it took, you know, a few hundred million years. That God's creativity is in, is, is, is if God creates the universe. And I don't know if that's true. Right. Um, but if there is a creator, the creation was kind of just setting forth the laws of nature that are self-creating. That as soon as there was a bug on earth, given um, five billion years, you were going to get puppies. Right. But I don't know. Maybe it's very. Maybe the rare, rare thing is going from bugs to puppies. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I have an interesting just. So, I like, for me, for my own theology and my own spirituality, like, I like mystery. Okay. I don't like mystery novels. I don't read them. But I like mystery. I like the unknown. I, and I don't like attaching, like, things to the mystery. I like just not knowing. Right. Um, so, I like the question, like, what is nothing? And right. can we come from nothing? You know, I love that because there's not there's a sort of mystery to that. To me, that gets me in, into sort of a right. divine space. Right. And and um, but like, to another question that gets me into that space is where did the laws of physics come from? I mean, it, to and, me, well, it's a mystery. Yeah, <laughs> see, I love it. That that and there are I know of of physicists who uh, believe in God because the fundamental constants of physics, the strength of gravity, the strength of the attraction between positive charge and negative charge, that if they were a little bigger, a little smaller, that, the, that we wouldn't have atoms and, and, and planets and galaxies. Right. And there are some people I know who believe in God because those constants are so finely tuned. But for me, I went through a crisis of faith. I guess as a as a as a college student, I had spent the evening with a a friend who was suicidal, and um, I was trying to talk her out of suicide. And it was very difficult. And I ended up calling for help, and that help ended up calling. Some psych- psychiatric services, and my friend ended up hauled off in handcuffs to a padded room. So this, and I was walking home, back to my dorm in the snow. This was like in February in Durango, Colorado, mm-hmm. and I was walking, and where we got oh a hundred inches of snow. I mean, it was insane. And I stood there in the snow, looking up at the stars, and for the first time in my life. All I saw were stars and the universe. And it's as though 
all my life before, I had seen kind of God as a kind of a ceiling that, that, that was, and that's the title of my book, that there is, no, there is no ceiling. The sky is not a ceiling. It's the whole cosmos out there. And if gravity would just let go, you could fly off into it. And, yeah, wouldn't that be cool? But that crisis, I then came back to faith with a very different perspective. Mm -hmm. And I won't hang any of my faith that there is this loving energy to the universe. A being, an energy, I don't know. But I can feel like I resonate with it. I am in touch with it sometimes. Right. And to hang it on something as silly as the what the value of the gravitational constant is, it's like, oh, you're setting yourself up for standing in the snow in Durango, Colorado, and you find out, oh, there's a perfectly reasonable reason why it had to be that number. And then where's your faith? Mm. So. And so just to... Just to uh, circle back a little bit to the religious perspective of things, I apologize for my ignorance when it comes to you know the Unitarian traditions. But what book do you base your teachings on? A book, and so on. Um, we we do not base it on a book, but okay. either maybe all books all or books. no books, I, one or the other. Um, so we have a it's a creedless faith. Right. tradition um, and they're you know we recognize that everyone is not going to believe the same exact things right. we do have some principles that kind of guide us right. we have sources right. that we go to for you know right yeah and so with so that's the main that's the distinct question feature feature between this branch of Christianity and others is that the Unitarian traditionalists don't have uh, universalist to, 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 to retract there, uh, don't have a creed. And so you were speaking about the Big Bang, which made me think of the Big Bang Theory, which is a TV show that I love very much, not the theory itself. And so that TV show has I, a, I went to graduate school with Sheldon. I know all about it. Perfect. And so that TV show has, like a, has a sequel to it. Young Sheldon. I've been watching that. Mm, I've binge watching Young Sheldon. So, yes. So that's one of my favorite TV shows right now. And so there's a scene in there where you know they talk about uh, where does the universe come from, which is which inspired this episode. Um, and so he talks about you know confusing because the pastor says something like, uh, "You should believe in God because there is a possibility that there's fifty-fifty possibility that there's God or there's no God. And he says, well, you're confusing possibility with probability. That's like saying, if I go home, I might find a hundred million dollars or I might not. That's not 50-50. And so that got me, and then he talked about some, they talked about some verses in the book of John. And so I went and I pulled out the quote from the book of John uh, chapter 1, verse 1, 9, and 14. And so I wanted to read it to you all. And as a Unitarian, you can tell me what you think of it. And as a scientist, you can tell me what you get from this. So uh, the chapter is called, The Word Becomes Flesh. And in verse 1, they say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the meaning. Through him, all things were made. 
without him nothing was made that has that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome and so you know it continues with verse 9 i'm not going to sit here and read it you can go read it by yourself and all the way through 14 where the word becomes the flesh and so another thing that i noticed when i was continuing this reading in the book of genesis which is the first page of the torah they talk about this as well that the six days that it took for god to build it and in the quran this is also another observation that you can see when you read it so there's a similarity in the, between the abrahamic faiths of course the quran's definition of numbers is a bit different from others because the book came on later on and so what do you think of the idea that all three abrahamic faiths make this analogy to the 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 supreme deity that has created this this world that we live in and what's your take on it so we can begin with you and then go to doc, uh, dr o'donohue okay so so a couple things one is as we sort of talked about, humans are in this process of meaning-making. Right. We're all in this self-awareness reflecting on, and we have evolved to love stories. Right. Who doesn't love a good story, right? Religions have been using stories since, as far as we know. Right. Um, the the seven-day of creation account, it, it's really seven days. It was deliberately seven days because those Jews writing that wanted to reinforce the most important Jewish holiday, the one that happens every week, Shabbat or Sabbath. God rested on the seventh day. That's the theological meaning of that. Now, it's, a, it's beautiful sacred poetry and it spoke to people, obviously, and still speaks to many people. I regard it as sacred poetry. I don't regard that as scientifically... The explanation um, for... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's scientific. There's no science in that, except that <clears throat> people are... We people are here now. Right. Well, how did we get here? We had to come from something. And we can trace our biology, our chemistry, the physics of our elements, all the way back to actually... 10 to the minus 43, 44 seconds after the Big Bang. 10 to the minus 43 seconds after the Big Bang. After time began. We don't know what happened in that first 10 to the minus 43 seconds. That's where our, 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 our physics equations just can't get there. And so that science doesn't say anything about the word or, right. you know, it just says that after 10 to the minus 43 seconds, mm -hmm the universe started expanding and cooling and all of this amazing stuff happened that eventually led to us. Okay. And it was a series of accidents. And, but there were so many accidents that, and that's, you know, people say, well, you couldn't have created us by accident. And it's like, you know, there had to be somebody that planned it. And one of my questions now was, all right, who planned English? Right. So, Earlier, you mentioned that there were a lot of accidents that led to the creation of us, as in if we can the even emergence. The, yeah. emergence, the emergence of the us, emergence yes. Of yes. us yes. as if yes. we can even understand what we are in the first place. 
And so could you tell us about how many of how many accidents were there and can you tell us about some of those accidents? So well and what they did. What I can say is that at last count, with using the Hubble Space Telescope and other advanced telescopes, we go out and count the other galaxies in the universe. And at the current time, our count is a few hundred billion galaxies. So if there's a chance, if the chance of life is one in a hundred billion, there should be life in every galaxy. And uh, so, in those hundred billion galaxies are each as hundreds of billions to trillions of stars. And so, you know, you can just see if the chances of life on a, you know, on a planet around a star is one in a hundred billion, there's life all over the place in the universe. It's crowded. Um, and, and so those galaxies, this is part of, of, of what I study is, is, so within those galaxies you have stars and planets and I, I, these physical processes that went on on Earth, on Earth went on elsewhere. We assume there's probably, I think most astronomers assume there's life elsewhere and maybe technological life. Um, but given that it took Earth four billion years to figure out evolution, maybe technological life is the hard thing to come by. Mm -hmm. But when we look out at the universe, there are some weird things like the fact that the, the the galaxies aren't evenly distributed. Right. Um, and they seem to be gathered along threads and into clusters. And, and even when we look at other galaxies, so each galaxy is a puddle of stars, so that the, the stars are orbiting kind of the center of the galaxy. And when we look closely at those stars, they're moving really fast. Right. And the, Newton told us, with gravity, all right, how fast you can look at, like we can look at how fast the moons of Jupiter orbit Jupiter, and we can calculate the mass of Jupiter by the speed of the orbits of the moons. It's a pretty straightforward calculation. And when we calculate the speeds that the, the um, uh, stars have, when we calculate the mass that should be there, it's a lot bigger than the mass we can account for, for by all the other stars. Right. And so there has to be some kind of matter that it exerts a gravitational pull on the stars, but it doesn't glow. It doesn't show up. So it's dark matter. Mm -hmm. And this dark matter seems to be distributed into, this, into these threads and clusters and into this web network of galaxies and clusters of galaxies. And so what I'm actually studying is is I'm looking at one thread, the Pisces-Perseus supercluster. So it's a bunch of clusters of galaxies lined up um, <clears throat> out from us. And, and the galaxies are moving so fast that they should fly away. They shouldn't they all don't. be hanging out. So we're trying to look at their speeds and figure out the mass of this dark matter thread that they're aligned with. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. And um, uh, the Reverend, do you have anything you want to address before we continue with, you know, the talk of dark matter and all the physics language that we've learned so far? <laughs> well, I, w I would like to mention that um, we have a hymn that we sing in, in our hymnal, and uh, the words are, where do we come from? What are we? Right. Where are we going? Right. 
Um, to me, the most profound question in there is the last one, where are we going? Right. And that's the more immediate answer. And that's what excites me about social movements for justice. Right. Um, for whether it's LBGTQ plus whether it's uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, the, 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 the question is, we have evolved to this place where we have empathy, right. where we can sense a love that is not just the love I have may have for you or for my wife or my children, but a love that is grander, bigger, more radical, that we can, we can sense this. And I think, at least for me, it's pulling us, luring us, inviting us mm -hmm. to make the world fairer, right. to make the world more just. Right. How can we pull the arc of the moral universe right. towards justice? That's, that's what excites me. That's what, about, that's what um, I think faith calls us to, whether you're Jewish or, or Christian or Islam or Unitarian Universalist, whatever you are. I think that's where many of us mm -hmm. agree on. Right. And so, the beauty of all of this is, by learning about where we come from, we can then make clear decisions about where we're heading. Mm. Well, Hopefully. I mean, Hopefully. one of the things is that we all emerged, all humans emerged from this incredible process of evolution that gave us differences. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the trajectory of evolution, right. that we went from pond scum to fish to amphibians to reptiles to on and on, and life gets more and more diverse. Mm -hmm. And in Earth's history, there have been times when almost everything died, but a few critters survived and repopulated the Earth, and then they almost all died again. And then Several a few, lives. and the thing is, is that the <clears throat> stability comes with diversity. The more diversity in life there is, the less likely everything is gonna die. And so the more diversity among humanity there is, the less likely that any idea that is good and that bends the arc of history toward justice is gonna die. So even within even within science, diversity physics, is you can better. find the beauty of diversity. Absolutely. That's great. Um, I think that's a great note to end on. Um, I would love to ask more questions that we could sit here for boggle the mind. But you know, I think that was a that was a great point to finish on. And so I want to thank both of you guys for taking your time to speak with me. Thank you to the audience for being here, and thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks so much. Thank you.